Hello and welcome back to the Voice of Reason podcast. My name is Sean Phillips and I am here today joined alongside with my two co-hosts, Mr. Andy Van Beber and Mr. Travis Kirkendall. How are you guys doing today? What is up? What is up? What is up, guys? What's going on, guys? Well, first and foremost, uh, we wanted to say thank you to everyone who listened to the first episode of The Voice of Reason. Quick side note, our our first episode was officially streamed to completion 151 times, which is absolutely incredible for our yes, very indeed. first yeah. episode. That's so awesome. again, yes, indeed. thank you guys. So I just much. want to say thank you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we hope that everybody enjoyed it. And we can't wait to keep bringing this show back to you guys every single week. This is now week two. And uh, we've already learned so much from how things went last week. I do want to talk about a couple of quick things. Last week, uh, we went over quick introductions. We talked a little bit about executive orders, what those meant. Uh, We told you guys what to watch in the stock market. And we very, very briefly touched on the idea of the United States government keeping UFOs out of the public eye. (laughs) God. The important things. Yes, we're right. Exactly the important things. Of course. So if you had the opportunity uh, to check out our first episode, um, thank you. If you haven't been able to watch it yet or listen to it yet, please, you can find it on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcast, and hopefully soon Apple Podcast. I'm working out the technical difficulties with Apple Podcast, and we will figure out what exactly is going on. So one other um, thing to add too, Sean, is we are we do have a YouTube channel. We haven't got anything uploaded to it yet. But if you go to YouTube and do a search for Voice of Reason Podcast 2021, you will find our podcast, our, our video channel there. Right now, we only just have uh, just the uh, video uh, audio of it. We're still working on the uh, the, uh, the video side. Hopefully, next week, we will be able to do a, a uh, Facebook Live. So sorry that we couldn't get that this week, but we are working on that, too. Correct. We are working out all the the kinks and the the potholes along the way. So thank you guys for so uh, so much for being patient and working along with us today. We have a couple of different topics we're going to be discussing. We've got a really great show planned for all you guys, and um, I'm definitely going to give my co-host just a little bit more time to say hello. And how are you guys doing today? What's what's new for you this week? How'd your week go? Pretty good. I had a lot of great feedback and a lot of. Uh... A lot of uh, good stuff that good things people said. So, yeah, it was great. Yeah, it's been cool to see uh, the reviews from people and kind of what they liked and things they'd like to see, which hopefully we're able to bring that this episode. Yeah, it's been this has been really cool so far. Yeah, I know we we definitely had a lot of people talk about um, how they're really excited to get interactive and really be able to chat with us while we do these shows. And I promise you guys it is coming. Uh, Just sit tight. We have a couple things we want to unveil first and knock out of the park first. And once we have that down correctly, we're definitely going to be more interactive and really, really work with you guys. I know a couple of the reviews said that – they were really looking forward to actually us debating, so don't worry. Uh, we are going to be discussing a couple of topics today that we've kind of reviewed so far, and we we, we stand a little bit differently on uh, different rocks on these things. So um, don't worry. Uh, Andy's going to be wrong pretty much most of the time today that we have, and uh, that's all right. Yeah, thanks a lot. I appreciate that. <laughs> so uh, the first thing I want to start off today is we have a new segment that we're going to kick off the show with, and 
This is called Top Trends, where we each kind of talk about a quick topic that we saw in the news, um, whether it was online on uh, Twitter or Facebook or whether or not we actually just read this. Like for my example, my story I got from MSNBC. So I'm going to start with Andy. Um, if there was a really cool trendy topic you saw, what, what did you see this week that you kind of want to discuss? I, I, I dug this one up, boys. This was uh, actually happened in Missouri, but it made national news uh, this morning. Uh, are you guys aware of where Malden, Missouri is at? Down in the Boot Hill. Malden, Malden Missouri. Boot Hill? Boot What's Hill. it called? Malden, M-A-L-D-E-N. Never heard uh, of it. A gentleman by the name of, uh, at the First General Baptist Church in Malden, Missouri, his sermon last Sunday was on how how to be an attractive wife for your husband. Uh, this was on, this was on this church's web page or YouTube page. I tried to find it. I couldn't find it. So I did some, I had some uh, connections, but anyway, he said uh, he gave a, he gave a sermon. The pastor Clark, uh, Stuart Clark gave a sermon on how to keep your marriage strong. And his answer said, number one, the wife needs to look hot like Melania Trump, or Melania Trump, preferably, and then, and that means losing weight and submitting her husband's sexual desires at all times, or else it's her fault when he strays. Um, and so here are some of the other uh, he brought up in the sermons. He said, uh, ladies, here's the thing you need to know about. Men, don't give him a reason to be like this distracted boyfriend. And it's that, it's that meme that has the, you know, the guy's walking with his girlfriend. He looks back at the other girl. Yeah. Um, he says, uh, he says, now look, when I, I'm trying to say every woman can, I'm not saying that every woman can be the epic trophy wife of all time, like Melania Trump. I'm not saying that at all, but most women can be trophy wives, but you know, like her, maybe you, you're a participation trophy. <laughs> I, I wish I was, I wish I was making this up. Um, but uh, this is, the, so here is the, here is the kicker right here. He said, but you say, how can I do that? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. I'm so glad you asked that question because you're in my office, you and your husband, and we're talking about your marriage, and you've asked me this question about what can I do about that? All right, if you're sitting in my office, here's the first thing I'd say to you. And boy, I hate to say this. This is why you don't do mar this is why I don't do marital counseling anymore, and that is weight control. He, he says he put a he he has a, he he says I have a friend he has put a divorce weight on his way and it goes on and on. This guy's sermon was about how to keep your, your husband from cheating. I'm not, I wish I was making this up. This is so, but this was, this was on February the 21st. And I, if, if I can find the video, I'll, I'll, I'll post it to our page just so you can get a good kick out of it. Honestly, let me tell you why this sermon was blasphemy. Let me tell you this right now. Okay. Well, he didn't, by the is, way, he didn't make any biblical references whatsoever. And the sir, I watched about 20 minutes of it. He made zero Bible references whatsoever. So let me tell you something. Okay. One of the greatest shows of our era of our generation that is currently out right now, TLC Hulu, if you have it. That you need to watch is a little bit of a show called My Six Hundred Pound Life. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I know and the show. Some people, some people might call that just you know uh, decent viewing, something entertaining. Uh, but for me, it is the only thing that I can watch to curb 
my extreme sexual frustrations 24 7 all right there is a reason yes sir my 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 girlfriend weighs 115 pounds and that is solely due to the fact that if she weighed 600 pounds then the sexual deviancy that would occur in this house would actually be illegal in multiple states all right so shame on this pastor all right shame on him that is probably the most blasphemous thing because Melania Trump is not the hottest woman on the planet. Yeah, and we will be discussing the hottest woman that has been in the White House underneath the desk later tonight. Oh and her yeah. name is not Melania Trump. <laughs> yep. But that's what that, I had. Not uh, once, but twice, he referred to the perfect wife as uh, Melania Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This was, I mean, if I, I was know. this guy, if I was this guy's wife, first of all, I mean, she would be, I, I don't know how he is even married to tell you the truth, but very, it was, it, it made the, I just caught it this, I just caught it this morning as I was looking for some stuff and I thought, man, I can't pass this one up. Well, is he married to a man, broomstick? Is he married to a broomstick with like a photo printout if, of if Melania see, Trump? Just and like if you out. saw the, if you saw this guy, this guy is not like Trent. I mean, this guy's got, he's carrying, he's got the dad bod going on. Well, he's not at divorce weight yet. No, not yet. He will be probably after this week, but. <laughs> oh my God. Hashtag. I, 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 it's one of those situations where you, you can't believe that that guy still has a wife. And yet there's a, about a billion other guys out there that are just struggling to find love. But I guess well, love I mean, is in the form of Melania Trump. Well, this guy, I mean, he just goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And it just is like, you know, this is this is what gives. Seriously speaking, this is what this is the kind of guy that makes me sick when it comes to because you'll catch one guy like this, he'll get his fifteen minutes of fame, and you'll never hear about him ever again. True. But people who are agnostic or atheists, they just add this to their list of things that. Oh, this is why I don't like Christians. Look at what this guy's saying about his wife, you know, and to me, that's just. That's the dirt that gets, that's the kind of dirt that gets thrown up in my face all the time and I can't stand it. Oh, it's a terrible representation. Absolutely. It also makes Missourians look like crap and we're, we're not really yeah, in a place right now to where we could be taking too many more L's. Oh yeah. Oh, it is what it is. I feel I, I'm I'm actually jealous that that was, that was such a, a good trend. Mine is a little bit more serious and depressing, but that's that's okay. I'm going to talk today about uh, Shamina Begum. Uh, this was a 15-year-old who left London back in 2015 and went to Syria through Turkey with a couple of school friends. While there, uh, she decided to marry an Islamic State fighter. So she she had left the Britain. She had left London so that she could actually join ISIS. Uh, during that time, she gave birth to three children all of whom who have since uh, passed away uh, when they were infants. So she is now currently being held in a detention camp in Syria. And the reason why I was bringing this up is because now um, in London and and the, the government over there is actually dealing with an ongoing battle between citizens and legal uh, and human rights activists uh, deciding whether or not she should be allowed to have her citizenship back um, she was stripped of her British citizenship back in 2019 on national security grounds. However, now that she is trying to get out of Syria, okay, she's trying to leave the country. And the problem is uh, the, the, the citizens of 
Britain and the people that live there in London do not want her to come back. They do not want her to be held on trial here or over there. Um, they want her to stay in Syria. Now, her lawyers and her legal representation and human rights activists are fighting for for her to try to get back in Great Britain. So I just wanted to kind of pick your guys' brains quick on what your thoughts are is if you leave your country to join the Islamic State and to swing back and forth on monkey bars and try to blow people up, if you guys should actually get your citizenship back once things don't go your way. So she she joined the Islamic State. Not she wasn't part of the Syrian freedom fighters. No, the Islamic State. She she yeah she went for ISIS. I mean, isn't that isn't that sedition? It is. I mean, when you look at, I have mixed feelings about this. I'm not gonna lie. I, when you when we talked about this yesterday in our in our meeting, Sean, I, I I really did have mixed feelings about this because on one hand, I can see all right because in the Constitution that we have we have the uh, the only federally defined crime in the Constitution is treason, and to me, this is a treason. If if I was Great Britain's government, this is a, this is a treasonous act, but. On the flip side of that coin, though, is how old did you say she was when she did this? She was 15 when, when she left in 2015. I think she's like 21, 22 now. Okay. So to me, this is a 15-year-old girl who was, and as one who's been working with teenagers for years, I, I mean, I, I know teenagers who have a hard enough time, you know, wearing matching clothes at the end of the day. So... Are you going to say then that a 15-year-old, that this girl should be held, she should be held accountable for what she did when she was 15? I mean, I don't know. To me, that seems like too young of an age to say, okay, we're going to hold it. You made a mistake to to join the other side at age 15, and we're going to hold it against you now. And I that's where, I, that's where I'm kind of divided at. I don't know about you, Travis, but that's where I'm at. Well, so she left at 15. How long has she been in the Syrian prison that she's in now? Ooh, I she's want, 22 now, right? Yeah, I want to say, I don't know exactly how long. I could try to pull back up the article, but I think she's at least been there. She's been there for a couple of years. I want to say at least two years or so. This has kind of been an ongoing battle to try to get back as far as as far as i can remember last reading and i I hope i'm not mistaken but i want to say that she's been in syrian custody for like two to three years it sounds like right when she got there um she got married and had kids right away all three of those kids passed away as they were infants so it was like back to back to back pregnancies probably by the time she was 18 19 and then after an attack landed in a syrian prison camp so it's it's all been a very you know, even though you want to, you know, you think six years, it's been a pretty rapid time uh, that all of this has kind of happened and unwound for her. Yeah, it's, you know, V brings up a good point. You know, she was a younger age. I mean, in our country, she's a minor, 15, you know, making a decision like that. But I mean, if she's been in prison for two to three years. She was an adult before all this happened. And I think, you, you know, you try her as an adult. And I mean, you know, you're 18 or older and you abandon your country like that and f- join forces with the enemy. I, I can't, I can't say. Do you guys remember, 
how old the younger brother was. Uh, I'm going to butcher the name, the Dakodwars Tarasev. I can't remember his name. The the younger kid in the Boston bombings, Boston Marathon yeah. bombings. How old was he? He was uh, he was fifteen. He was uh, no, I'll think about. It. He was seventeen. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was sixteen or seventeen. Yeah, if he was 16, like, I, I'm pretty sure he was he was legally tried as an adult, and I think there's kind of an ongoing battle with his death sentence, if I'm not mistaken, currently, mm-hmm. correct? Right. Yeah. So it's one of those things where it's a really thin line that kind of decides what would actually kind of try you as an adult. Well, uh, that's we see the thing. things yeah. like we see we, there's there's I think there's a a big difference between like when you see kids that are you know 14, 15, and let's say that maybe murder someone here in the States. I don't know how many of them are regularly tried as adults. I saw a thing recently that was talking about a group of kids that between the ages of like 13 to 16 or 17, where they were throwing rocks off of an overpass giant boulders. So rocks is kind of being used lightly and it actually killed a man. And only one of those individuals, they're all being charged for murder, but only one of them is actually going to be doing jail and prison time. The rest of them will be serving out time in a juvenile detention center. So there's a fine line between murder and then joining a radical um, Islamic terrorist organization, I guess, which naturally there should be. But but at the same time, though, can you can you directly link her to any deaths? I mean, uh, three that, infants, that, I guess. I, I don't well, know. yeah, right. But other than <laughs> right, other than that, though, I mean, you can't. I just don't think that she. First of all, I want to ask her. I want to ask, where are your parents? Where are your parents at? First of all, secondly, you know, I still, I still don't think that she should be be unless unless they can say, okay, she was the mastermind behind X, Y, and Z bombing. Then I say, go after her. But because she joined ISIS, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm maybe I'm just too much of a softy. But I think that if you if you give her a second chance, I don't know, give her a second chance in some way. But I mean, her she's got to be under house arrest. If she comes back to England, I'd say put her under house arrest for at least five or six years. I mean, you say like, is she directly re- re- responsible for deaths? Maybe not, but is she directly responsible for? supporting others who are responsible for deaths. Does that make her innocent being part of the Islamic state? Well, I mean, if you're guilty by association, I mean, I can, I can say, you know, I'm, I, it's like saying the guy who drove the getaway car on a bank robbery, how much is he guilty by association? Then I'm probably going to prison tomorrow. Right. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I mean, I, I still think though that, I mean, I just go back to the thing that she was 15, you know, and I'm, I'm just looking at some, I've got her, uh, I'm just looking at some I mean, of her I guess background. It's, it's the difference. Cause Travis, I don't know what you were doing at 15, but I know that what I was doing at 15 was just trying to come up with an excuse to my parents on why I was in the bathroom for 25, 30 minutes at a time. So <laughs> God. there's, I, it Thank also you. kind of just depends on where you're at. Cause you want to say like, if this was an individual that maybe had, you know, lived in those conditions previously, it's, it's understandable. You know, that's just the product of um, your, your environment, right? It's, it's not a surprise that those things happen because we see similar things happen here. Like 
take it for, you know, over there, it, it seems more extreme because it's quote unquote, the Islamic state, right? That's a real big deal. However, you have 15 year olds over here that join the Ku Klux Klan, that join white supremacy groups, that join gangs in their streets. Now, while these individuals might not be, you know, um, potentially attacking American cities or potentially attacking, you know, soldiers overseas or other nations overseas, these individuals might be committing hate crimes in the streets, committing armed robbery, um, murder over here. So it, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, if we're giving the pass or if we're, you know, just doing regular jail time for those 15, 16 year olds in the United States, but at the same time, this was an individual that came from Britain. So, you know, things are definitely handled differently over there. And yeah, I, I don't say, know how much of an exact presence, I don't live there, that Britain, that, you know, how much of a presence that the Islamic State has in Great Britain. What was so bad that this individual thought that their best option, their best choice was to go to Syria through Turkey um, to part, you know, to to do these things. We don't, we don't really necessarily know what led them to that cause. I don't know if they matched the wrong person on Tinder and then got brainwashed into, you know, headed that way. You never really know. But I just, I go back to the thing though, as an educator for, for so, for so long and just seeing so many 15 year olds, 16 year olds, 14 year olds, we're talking. So basically this girl was a freshman in high. Let's put it into this standard. This girl was a freshman in high school, a freshman in high school. Now, to me, if you've known me long enough, you know that freshmen are the bane of my existence, and trying to train them into the right thing about <laughs> how to be, how to be, have somewhat of common sense. I mean, they're still coming into their own element, and to me, that this is telling me number one that, like I said earlier, there is there was zero family control at home. I guarantee you that she probably had the latest iPhone. I'm almost betting that she probably had a car bought for her already. And she, I mean, and she probably had access to her parents' credit card. Part of this, I mean, if anything, you need to look back at these parents and say, what were you thinking? Because, I, you know, I've looked through two articles already while, you, while we've been talking here, and I haven't seen anything at all about her parents stepping forward or her parents coming to bat for her or anything. So to me, that's just like absence of parents. If anybody needs to be put on trial, <laughs> it's your parent, these parents and just say, look, I, I just, I have a problem with saying it, you know, at some, at some point there needs to be, there needs to be a, a point where I think children have to, parents have to be parents and stop being ATMs and friends and, and, and all this stuff because I mean, to me, like you guys said, at 15, I wasn't able to do, I, I barely could put my pants on, you know, and, and chew gum at the same time, let alone want to travel to Turkey. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, and it's it's just muddy water because it makes you think like, what about the, you know, kids that were f- responsible for Columbine or stuff like that? Like, are there parents to be held accountable for stuff like that? And it's, it's kind of one of those – that was the first thing that I would always see whenever you have these mass shootings is where are the parents, where are the parents. And it really makes you think, and it, it's one of those predicaments where at least when I see it is, man, it would really suck, especially if you were an involved parent. And then it might just be something that you were unsure about that was actually going on during that time. So um, with that, um, we're going to kind of move things forward just a little bit and talk about our next topic. So – Our next topic on the docket is actually the recent impeachment of former President Donald Trump. 
We've had several requests from individuals asking to cover this topic this week. So without further ado, uh, Andy's going to take it away and kind of cover what is impeachment, kind of going to talk about the definition, a little bit about the history of impeachment and what's happening right now. So take it away. And again, you guys, whenever you want to jump in and just ask any question, uh, please do. But uh, when we did this, uh, Article 2, Section 4, I'll just read it straight from the text of the Constitution. The president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Now, that is straight from Article 2, Section 4. This actually was inherited from an English parliamentary practice uh, in which parliament would impeach and convict ministers um, and anybody who was, you know, trying to get in a struggle with the crown or trying to reign, you know, and they even use this to try to, you know, rein in the the crown's power. In theory, and for those of you who've had me for government class know that I always say theory alert, theory alert, theory alert. Well, here it is. In theory, this is to be used as an important check on the executive and judicial powers uh, for abuse of powers, violation of law. Um, and originally, and this is something else I found in some of my research, members of Congress were not originally considered to be civil officers, that were, and they weren't subject to impeachment. And then some laws, some, and I, I'm not going to go into all the details about some of the acts that were passed by Congress, but then they were made it to where they, they were considered to be civil officers. Um, treason and bribery have a clear definition. But when we look at and we talk about high crimes and misdemeanors, to me, high crimes and misdemeanors is about as, and, and this is what our, our, why our founders wrote it this way, they wrote it in a, in a. They wrote a lot of the Constitution this way. And when we talk about other up to topics, we'll get into this. But they wrote it in a bare bones fashion because they wanted it to to adapt to meet the needs of the current time. Okay. Now, for example, when you talk about and so I'll, I'll read something here. This is from Alexander Hamilton. Uh, he wrote in Federalist sixty five. And I'll just read this and I'll tell you what you, you guys tell me what you think you hear from this. He says, he said, a well-constituted court for the trial of impeachment is an object not more to be desired than difficult to be obtained in a government wholly elective. The subjects of its jurisdiction, the people that they get, are those offenses which proceed from the misconduct of public men, or in other words, from the abuse or violation of some public trust. They are of a nature which may peculiar propriety be den- denominated political. So here in the beginning, Thomas or Alexander Hamilton is warning about what it could turn into. Uh, so as they relate chiefly to injuries done immediately to society itself, the prosecution of them for this reason will seldom fail to agitate the passions of the whole community and listen to this, and to divide it into parties more or less friendly to the accused. Mm. Now, this is, that is written 200 years ago, 200 plus years ago. All right. And the musical was written like eight years ago. So <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, they knew what they were talking about. So our first impeachment ever was actually of a U.S. senator. 
this was in 1795, uh, I believe. U.S. Senator, no, I'll take it back. It was 1805. U.S. Senator from the uh, William Blount from Tennessee. He was impeached on charges to assist Great Britain to as- attempt to assist to seize territory in Florida and Louisiana, and he was expelled from the Senate. Um, another notable one was a, a judge by the name of West Humphreys. Uh, he was a judge, again, from, I guess, from Tennessee. They had something going on down there. Uh, he refused to hold court. This was during the Civil War. He refused to hold court, and he actually waged war against the United States government. He was found guilty, and he was kicked out of office. Um, more recently here in 1902, Harry Claiborne income tax evasion. He remained on the bench following his income tax evasion conviction and that got him impeached. Now with presidents, now let's, so I just mentioned those three guys shortly just to say, okay, here are three guys who did bad things. Here are three guys who did things that should have got them convicted. So impeachment can affect more than just a president is what you're saying. President, judges, uh, and uh, federal marshals, um, any like I said, congressmen, anybody. So any elected official. Yes, any elected official. Yes. Okay, and appointed officials as as far as that goes too. Any so a member of the president's cabinet can be impeached. Anybody who's considered to be a civil official, a civil officer. Okay, now. With presidents, and again, I'm preaching the choir probably when I say this, but I want to, you know, last week I kind of got under, I, 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 some of my right-wing friends reached out to me last week and said, man, you were, you went a little bit far with the executive order. Well, okay, this is for my left-wing friends now, okay? We have, we have so far gone down a slippery slope with impeachments that it's not even funny. We have never... And I'll, I'll I'll get this up until January sixth. We have never had a a a true reason for impeachment. Okay, so just real briefly, Andrew Johnson. Okay, eighteen sixty five after the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Andrew Johnson, who was a Republican from Tennessee of all places, Congress did not approve of John Johnson's easy reprisal for the South after the war. President Lincoln wanted. You know, he wanted a smooth transition to bring the South back in. Okay, uh, and Congress they started investigating Johnson almost immediately when he became in office. Uh, they looked at his bank accounts; they found nothing. Uh, they looked at the fact that um, when Jefferson Davis, who was the president of the Confeder- Confederacy, had been released on bail, they thought, okay, Congress Congress thought, okay, man, they, they, he must really like Jefferson Davis. And on the contrary. Uh, Andrew Johnson said, we got to, we got to prosecute this guy. So they couldn't get him on that. That sounds so, extremely familiar. Yeah, exactly. I'm, this is what exactly you're, you're catching the theme already. Okay. So Edwin Stanton, who was Andrew Johnson, well, actually was Abraham Lincoln's secretary of the war had made life very difficult for uh, president Johnson. They had differed on, uh, you know, John uh, Stanton was really wanting to. You know, we're we're going to keep troops in the South. We're going to we're going to do all. You know, just a whole litany of things that he and Johnson disagreed upon. And Johnson temporarily uh, had temporarily suspended him, hadn't fired him yet, and he appointed Ulysses S. Grant as Secretary of War. In the meantime, Congress then creates this law called. They create a law. 
that was called the Tenure of Office Act, which had permitted, prohibited the firing of any cabinet member without the congressional consent. So what do you know? Johnson fires Stanton, and then the House has impeached, impeached him. Okay, Now, through a ton of political deal-making, Johnson escaped conviction by one vote. You need two-thirds of the Senate to impeach, okay, mm. or to convict. I'm sorry. Impeachment is just – and the, the, here's another thing about what impeachment is not. Impeachment is not removal from office. Impeachment is a formal uh, – almost like an, an indictment, a, a formal charging of an officer, okay, the Senate acts as the jury in any of these cases, and they, it takes a two-thirds vote of the Senate to convict. So that was Andrew Johnson. Okay, now on the Sean's favorite one, Bill Clinton. Okay, we all know about this. This is the hottest impeachment of all time. <laughs> and just to say this, this was this happened. All this came about in my first year of teaching, and I was a current events teacher. <laughs> there was a there was a yeah there was a joke every day every day and i had to either send somebody to the office for using inappropriate word you know but anyway so bill clinton november 1995 clinton had begun an affair with a 21 year old intern uh monica Lewinsky. uh she was there for she served for one and a half years she was in the white house they had nearly a dozen encounters in this is what kills me in the Oval Office. Okay. Like a boss. Yeah, like a boss. Okay. <laughs> in 1997, so Lewinsky then is transferred to the Pentagon. She and she shared about her relationship with Bill Clinton with a coworker named Linda Tripp, who ended up recording con conversations. Okay. Now it's always a jealous, oh god, jealous you, friend. And go do a Google search for Linda. If you think Monica, go do a Google search for Linda Tripp. Okay, not not an attractive woman. Okay, but so Lewinsky then goes. So she goes. But they actually call a grand jury, federal grand jury, uh, and she said she denied it before a federal grand jury. So then the FBI approaches Linda Tripp a, a, again, and they. They, they, uh, she, they, they get her on tape again and they offer Lewinsky immunity if she cooperates. Okay. So the house impeaches on grounds of perjury, uh, obstruction of justice, witness tampering and the abuse of power. Now, all of this being said, you have to look at the time frame of what was going on. You had a deeply divided Congress. You had a Republican house that wanted, wanted, Clinton out. He was just, he, he had pushed through a, a lot of, I won't say liberal agenda, but he had pushed through a lot of things that had made the house mad and it was highly politicized. Now, when you look at this obstruction of justice, witness tampering, abuse of power to me, and I, I couldn't stand Bill Clinton, but again, what'd the guy do? That's a lot of extra words for a guy that got a BJ in a room. That, that's all I'm saying. Right. I mean, he got caught. I mean, he was a, he's a reflection of the society that elected him. Okay. He's like probably 65, 70% of men in America who cheat on their spouse at one time or another. He got caught. Okay. Now, now we move wow. on. Yeah. Now we move on to President Trump. Okay. 
Okay, so, and when I do my research on this, I went, I didn't go looking at Fox, I didn't go looking at CNN, and the guys will attest to this because I sent them the links. I go to BBC. BBC to me is about about as middle of the ground as you can but, get. But why not one American different, news? About uh, a different BBC than I'm normally looking up. Yeah, why not right. one American news? Mm-hmm. That's not biased. Right. Okay, now, President Trump was first accused of pressuring Ukraine to dig up damaging information on Joe Biden and his son, Hunter. Okay. At the time, Hunter had worked for a Ukrainian company when Joe was VP. Um, so now we get into this whole thing of, so Trump is a, Trump was accused of withholding $400 million of military aid. And he was going to, he said, Hey, I'll, if you dig up something, I'll give you a lot of good PR time that to the Ukraine president here in the white house. Okay. Now, Democrats claim that this is an abuse of power, okay? And the three things that stood out in, in Donald Trump's defense that his, that his attorneys brought out time and time and time and time again at the, at the, at the trial was that the Ukrainian president himself uh, gave a, uh, oh, the words, he gave a, he, he gave a, uh, oh, God. He gave, but basically his testimony that he gave, he said he felt no pressure from President Trump that the Ukrainians were unaware that the aid was held back and that U.S. military aid was eventually released. So in the House, when they impeached Trump, it was a 230 to 197 vote, okay, for impeachment. When it went to the Senate, it was 48-52 acquittal. Along, and by the way, both of those were right along party lines. Both of them were, okay? Now... Now I move on to the one that I have. This is the one so far. So far to me, when I look at when I look at these, nothing stands out to me. And I've always said this. And again, not a Trump supporter in any way, shape, or fashion. But I will say this: I thought that the Democrats definitely used this as what Trump said it was. And I can't believe I'm saying I'm agreeing with Donald Trump on this, but it was. It was a political witch hunt. Okay. And you, I mean, there were day one, there were Democrats who, who wanted to go after him. Okay. So then we look at this, the second, okay. Trump held a rally on the Capitol mall on January the 6th, while Congress was counting the electoral votes. Okay. Congress. And here, here's some of the things that I'm looking at. Okay. Some of the some of the lines that were you know did did Trump cross the line? You know what were some of the, you know they they went with impeachment. They said he willfully made statements that encouraged and resulted in lawless action at the Capitol. Okay, and here were the key phrases that that the prosecution used. Okay, and this is direct words from Donald Trump: "You don't concede when there's theft involved. Our country has be, has had enough. We will not take it anymore." Okay. And here's the key statement. And I want to, after I read this, I want to, I want to see where you guys, and I'm sure you guys heard this, but this is what he said. If you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. And then he said, we're going to walk down to the Capitol and we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them. So when you guys hear that, is that 
and a lot of people say, well, it's just, it's, you know, it's semantics. It's all on the way that you interpret. I mean, what, I mean, are to, if you were just a non-biased bystander, how would you take that? Sean, go first. I still just can't get the thought that Monica Lewinsky is on the same exact pedestal of your Marilyn Monroe's. All right. And, and, and I don't think she gets enough credit where credit's due, you know, like a lot. she, she got disrespected uh, and harassed after her involvement in the oral office. But at the end Come of on. the day, okay, yeah, I won't, I won't, I won't go on too much of a rampart. Not but, enough, not enough but, to put blow kittens, Clinton in your mouth, but anywho. So it, again, it's one of those, tough flip of the coin things because court's one of those weird things. And, and, and this isn't just like, this is like any case that I've kind of watched, like whether it's been like half-ass watched it, or I've seen live court cases. The problem, at least that I see sometimes with the judicial system is that judging almost can always seem like a biased, right? Where it's the same thing, like in an MMA fight. Okay. You have three judges they tally the scorecards, and then the winner or loser of that fight is affected by those three judges, right? Where you could have an entire nation of other people who watch the same exact fight and said, oh my gosh, absolutely not. No, I. that's not how that fight went. That's not who should be the winner. I look at the same thing when I look at this case and particularly is because we have – over 50% of a nation, let's say oh, the, the 50% that voted against President Trump, that voted for President Biden, that would say this is a clear-cut case of treason and this individual needs to be processed. This individual needs to face trial. And then you have another close to half of a nation that would say – that might say no, right? It's tough when things aren't set in stone that there's no deliberate lines because it creates muddy water. When it comes to the court, you look for clear, concise evidence. And this is one of those things. It's like it's like being a comedian, right? And which is what Donald Trump pretty much was for four years as a president. Um, he was always looking to get you always want a joke to stick, right? You you wanna you when you tell a joke and when you practice and you rehearse a joke, sometimes you bomb and they do horribly. But it's all due to the choice of words. That little rally that he could could have been his version of of bombing on stage, right? Where, and, and that's you my thing. Want, yeah, you want to deliver the right lines, and sometimes it takes practice. And I think that for Trump, when he when this election slipped out of his hands and it didn't go the way that he wanted, he just started spewing words. Whether or not he physically meant, "Hey, go march down on the Capitol again," could he have thought it? Yes. Was he smart enough at the moment to not directly say it? Yes. But like any it's, good, com- but, but like any good, com- so you use the, so you use the, the line of a comic though. Okay. Mm-hmm. Part of that is timing, right? Yes. Okay. So when, did, when he does this, this is, this is the problem that I have with this. This was done on the 11th hour. I mean, they're at Congress. I mean, wh- what in God's green earth is he expecting to happen? I mean, because right. he's he, he would, he's already thrown Pence under the bus. He's thrown Pence under the bus, and he's to me, this was you know, 
I have a hard time not looking at this and saying, okay, you, you know, I, I did. So this is something else I grabbed too. So I, I actually looked up an, another guy and this guy is, uh, I gotta get his name here. This guy is Garrett, Professor Garrett Epps. And this guy was American. He's one of the foremost American legal scholars and he's studied law or he taught law at university of Baltimore. And he said, what is incitement under the law? He said, incitement is not a crime under the first amendment unless it meets certain criteria. First of all, it has to be intended to cause violence. You know, if I go downtown and he says, if I go down and I say, I say to two drunks standing in front of a bank, let's rob the bank right now. I haven't really incited anybody because it's not very likely they'll rob the bank. If I say, let's meet here tomorrow and rip things up. I'm not citing because I'm not inciting because in the words of the Supreme court, where there's time for better counsels to prevail, the remedy for speech is more speech. Okay. Now, so the question is, did Trump cross the line? You know, he says, he says it's pretty eminent because he's telling people to march to the Capitol and I will march with you. There wouldn't be any time for better counsels to prevail because you're just going to leave the ellipse and walk down to Pennsylvania Avenue. He said, we have to fight and show strength. But he also said, we're very peacefully and patriotically going to ask. And that's where he covers his butt. And so, like you said, Sean, in the end, it's a jury question. So, you know, to me, impeachment, it's a slippery slope. And I know I'm going way over, but I want to talk about the, the one that got away. The one that got away, and we're coming up on, next year will be 50 years on the one that got away. And that is Richard Nixon, 19, June 17th, 1972. Six burglars are arrested for breaking into the Democratic National uh, Convention's headquarters at the Watergate Hotel. And this is done. George McGovern is running against um, Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon really doesn't have any chance of losing against George McGovern. George McGovern was, he was just not a, the best guy for the job, okay? Involved were four CIA operatives who were formerly involved in the action against Castro in the Bay of Pigs. That one worked out well. Um, uh, James McCord, who was security chief in the, uh, uh, committee to reelect the president, which later was called, I love this. They, they called it creep. Um, two others, uh, Howard Hunt, who was a former high ranking CIA officer and G Gordon Liddy, who was a former FBI agent. All of these were working for the president. Um, Nixon helped, uh, got it to where people in his committee to burn transcripts of wire traps. Bob Halderman, who was uh, Nixon's chief of staff, Charles Colson, who was special counsel in Nixon, spread a false alibi around D.C. for Nixon about the whole break-in thing and said, oh, these were just guys who were extreme anti-communists who didn't want McGovern in. And Nixon personally arranged for uh, I think it was like close to a million dollars for this guy Halderman or for Howard Hunt to get out of the country so they couldn't catch him. Uh, the smoking gun, though, became the Nixon tapes. Um, and Nixon said that that stuff was protected. The Supreme Court and Nixon versus the United States said, no, this has to be you have to be released. And I mean, you had everything from illegal use of campaign contributions to destroying 17 minutes of the tapes after the Supreme Court said, hey, you got to turn this stuff over. And so August 9th, 1974, Nixon resigns September 8th. 19, and by the way, every one who was involved in this whole thing was convicted and spent jail time, except for Richard Nixon, because on September 8th, 1974, Gerald Ford pardoned Nixon. 
And from that forwards apart, uh, approval rating went in the toilet, and that was it. Now, and I'll close by saying this. Impeachment has become a political weapon, with the exception, uh, to me, the, and you guys can discuss this a little bit further, but to me, January 6th is, was not a political weapon. But Dece- here's the thing. In December 2016, okay, so this is after the election, Senators in the Senate laid groundwork for a bill for presidents to divulge any assets that could raise conflicts of interest. And this was groundwork for impeachment. Uh, February 9th, 2017. So this is what? A little bit over a month into Trump's presidency. Gerald Nadler filed for an inquiry into President Trump. Okay. And just to make it fair for both sides, on January 21st of this year, GOP Marjorie Green, who's QAnon weirdo and everything, but she she introduced articles of impeachment against Joe Biden, saying President Biden is unfit to hold office of the presidency. His pattern of abuse of power as President Obama's VP is lengthy and disturbing. Okay, so my question is, where is the line? You know, what are we going to expect in the future? So, if the next guy who gets elected president, if we say he's he's oh, I don't like him, I don't like what he's doing for our country, we're going to impeach him. Anyone who has a who any, anyone who upsets the political apple cart is in danger. And this is this is the problem I have with impeachment. It goes every, you know, like I said, Hamilton Hamilton spoke against it 200 plus years ago, you know, and in the cases where we needed to do it, we didn't do it. And the cases where we don't need to do it, we did it. And I, to me, impeachment is just this slippery slope and it's only going I mean, it's going to become commonplace, I think, anymore when, I mean, every president that comes along is going to be, oh, we got to impeach him, we got to impeach him. And it's just, to me, it's just, it's, I hate it. Well, it's absolutely become political. I mean, look, I mean, the whole Clinton thing, let's be honest, like, what he did was wrong, but it was 100% a political move to impeach him. And at what point you say, do we stop this? I think at some point, someone needs to say, if we're going to impeach somebody, it needs to be based off fact and not propaganda. Like there needs to be clear evidence and there needs to be actual facts showing that, hey, what this person did was in fact something worth getting impeached over, not um, speculation and propaganda or meeting a certain political agenda. So I asked asked Sean, then Travis will ask you, do you think then the case for January the 6th was an impeachable offense? Yes, I do. No, it's hard. Go ahead. I, I I don't. Whether he, whether he truly intended for that to happen or not, there needs. I think there is some accountability there. Um, his words, without a doubt, played a factor. Now, do I think they were directly pointed towards this is the result that happened? I, I don't know. Um, I have issues with it being necessarily referred to as like an insurrection and like an overthrow of the government. Um, I think if that was considered an overthrow of the government, um, I think we have real issues in my opinion. Um, I think it was a violent protest that should never have happened by the minute they stormed the, the minute that they stormed the Capitol is when they lost my support. Well, and I, I've always been, I have always been an advocate for free speech Free speech not only protects the speech you like, but the speech you hate. But at the same time, when I look at this and I I look at intent, if he would have done this 
a week after the election, I could have, I could say, yeah, I see that. If he had done it a month after the election, I wouldn't have had a problem with it. But the point, the fact of the matter is, is that he did it while they were counting the vote, you know, but at the same time, you know, what happened to him? And I'll, I'll go in defense of the president when I say that when the, the whole Ukrainian thing, you know, trying to say, well, he, that they have the Russians try to involve in the election. That's a bunch of crap. I mean, he there was, was really false. Yeah. And so every, and so we can't, you know, and so, and, but the political side of this though is too, here's, here's the thing against the Democrats about this. Okay. And you guys, do you, here's why they did the impeachment. I mean, he had a week left. It's like, well, what are they going to gain by impeaching him with a week left to serve? Part of the grounds for if you are convicted of impeachment on this, on any impeachment charge, you can never hold, I mean, you can't even be the, you can't hold any federal job. You can't be the janitor yeah. down at the post office, okay? You cannot hold any federal job after impeachment. And they, the Democrats are still terrified of Trump in 2024. I mean, he spoke at CPAC this weekend, and, I mean, he he didn't say that he wasn't going to, you know, run for, for re-election. So is this impeachment then for because of his actions, or is it a political agenda? Is it really for the people and defense of the people and their best interests, or is it for the best interests of the opposing party and his own party that some don't support him at all? I mean, what is it really— well, it's I mean, a, yeah, and that, and that's the other thing too. So you get you got guys like Mitt Romney who voted for who voted for the conviction, you mm -hmm. know, and now they're I mean, and Trump is just saying, well, he's a traitor. And I mean, you look at any site though that they're and they're calling they're calling Mitt Romney a traitor, you know. I I call I mean, here's the thing in a in a regular court of law, if you if you if you if a jury member got up there and said, I already know how I'm going to vote. You're kicked off the jury. 100%. You're kicked off the jury. They're not going to let you be on the jury. Hundred percent. And so you have you have all these other you have all these other senators, Republican senators, who have already said, "Well, oh, this is a this is a political, you know, this is just you know why are, this isn't even constitutional. Oh, it's very constitutional, you know." And as like you said, I mean, I had a hard time looking past this one. I really did. I mean, and I know that makes. But when I, you know, when you see people who say, and my other question was this, what are you hoping to accomplish by doing this? Let's say that that, that capital riot was successful. What are you going to, you're, you're, it's a coup. That's all it is. I mean, it's a coup. Well, that's just it. Like what really was the purpose of it? I mean, you got a bunch of, a bunch of hillbillies and hippies up there just like dressed up as Vikings and stuff, storming the Capitol. Like, what was the, what was the purpose? Like how organized was this really? Or was it just mass chaos? Like well, it was goes back to Sean's conspiracy theories last week. I mean, you got... say they actually got in the Capitol. What were they really going to do? Were they really going to go in there and kill all these government officials? Right, like, right. Was that really the intent? If so, why weren't they, if this was really an insurrection, why weren't they armed? And why wasn't this a battle? Like, why wasn't it, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just doesn't, There's not little, defending the, what they did. I mean, I, what they did was, it was stupid. It was stupid right, and it was wrong. Right, but right. I'm never going, was, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be one of those things like Sean talked about last week. We're never going to know the true answer to some of these things. No, we won't. No. But should we? Yeah. Huh. 
I don't pay enough taxes apparently to get those answers. Oh, you yeah. I just want to know if anyone got their Lewinsky when they walked in, and, and <laughs> that's honestly, if if not one, if not one happened during that insurrection, then yes, it is it is means of impeachment. If not, then then I just say it was just oh, a oh. early an early party. But <clears throat> when we when I look at it, Travis, kind of what you said was, was this a real insurrection? The group of people that stormed the Capitol too, you and I both know those are the same kind of individuals who are more than proud to be, you know, showing the, the you know, pictures or footage of them messing around with, you know, any kind of weapons that they have at home. Like these individuals are people that are armed, right? And whether or not they were just smart enough that day to not bring in those weapons with them, Based on the numbers that they had, based on the stand down that Capitol Police had of of not messing with these individuals, if those people that stormed the Capitol really wanted to do physical harm to um, the congressmen and women that were in the Capitol that day, they easily could have just based off numbers alone, you know, at least in my opinion. And plus, it seemed like a lot of them, there were prior service individuals. There were some people that were still in the service that were in that organization. These are trained individuals who could have done more damage however i think it was just more of that mass chaos kind of last minute we're doing this because it's fun we didn't really think it was going to kind of get this far but now we're here i'm going to start grabbing podiums and running away like people did end up getting shot which i think after that kind of happened that's when people were like oh crap this is stupid and that's when you kind of started to see some of those some of those individuals like I think there were some – you might have had your group of like maybe 100 people that were like, yep, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take the Capitol building, right? Have you guys seen that video? I've always seen it like – I've seen it, I've seen it in a TED Talk where it's this one guy dancing on a hill kind of crazy, and he's just by himself. There's no music playing. He's just dancing. But by the end so. of this video, there's like 200 people in this group dancing with him. I think that this incident is – kind of similar to that. It's unorganized chaos where they saw these people have success and they're like, ah, we're already here. Let's just jump in and join in on the fun while we can. And um, so, yeah, I, I think that if it would have been a real insurrection, knowing the people that were there, knowing if they actually would have planned things out, you know, we could have been, we could be looking at a group of insurgents still in the Capitol to this day, you know? Um, but we, we don't. And I, I just think because it was more of a, someone dropped the match and, and the gas was lit. So, and that's why they, that's why I said they try to pin that impeachment on the, through impeachment on the president, but you have to be careful on how you use it. Just to sum that all up, you have to be careful. And who knows if this is what the founding fathers were truly aiming at. That's, and that's a very good question. Mm. You know, the founding fathers were heavily intoxicated during most of their, uh, their, their, their time in those, hot offices with their wool clothing and wigs. So it is a conversation worth having sometime. Like really, you know, what would the founding fathers think of just everything? Like that would be, (laughs) be interesting. Yeah. Well, one of those things we'll never know, but you can go onto Disney plus and watch Linwell, Lin-Manuel Ferreira's version of Hamilton, where you will get the complete, Historically accurate version, about two and a half hours, sung to you brilliantly. <laughs> yes, right, right, right. They all rapped back then too, so. They did. Actually, uh, Alexander Hamilton, one of the greatest MCs of our time when it came to lying down that pen and the pipe behind his wife's back. Yeah, so, right. 
let's just say history has a way of repeating, repeating itself, itself and it has its size on you. So as we uh, as we shuffle kind of into our final stretch of our podcast, three of our segments that we did week one, um, and you guys might know them if you've listened to our first podcast. The first one is this time in history, what to watch for and random crap that I found on the internet. So I'm going to let uh, Andy take it away. I know that you had talked a little bit earlier about how you were going to kind of tie in a little bit of this impeachment stuff. I'm not mistaken if that's still kind of going to where you're going to be going with it. Yeah, I mean, that's just that that was just what I wanted just to bring out is just to say, again, we are, you know, this is stuff that has happened before. And when we look back at the true nature of what impeachment has been, the impeachments that have actually taken place, you know, just political entrapment. But that's that was pretty much where I was going for with that. Okay, yeah. Travis, how about you? What, What should we be watching for this week? Yeah, so what I got to discuss, and we can have a discussion about it and um, kind of give our opinions on this. We have this third stimulus check. We're all hearing about it. The $1,400, you know, uh, Joe Biden's promise, I guess is something you could call it. Um, it is, the actual name of it is the American Rescue Plan of 2021. It is a $1.9 trillion stimulus package. And... What we mostly hear on the news is like, when are we getting our checks? When are we getting the checks? The $1,400 checks. That's what we're hearing about. But if you actually go in and read this bill, I mean, Andy will tell you, this this bill, is, it's massive. Um, it's 400 pages. Yeah, it, it's big. And there was a lot of controversy with, if you look back at the second bill, and now we're here with the third one. Obviously, the second one passed. Whether you agree with the spending on it or not, I personally don't. But here we are. So we have the $1,400 stimulus checks, and that's the narrative. It's to help the American people. And you got the tax credits for children under 18, 3600 for under 6. Uh, more money for unemployment. I think it was like, what, $400? Uh, $400 extra. a week. Yeah. Uh, a month. A month. I'm sorry, a month. I'm not going to spit off all the numbers here, but you got $25 billion for restaurants and bars, which is probably easily one of the hardest hit industries we've had in this whole quote unquote pandemic, uh, 30 billion housing and rental assistance, which, uh, for those that don't know, the housing market is an absolute, uh, I'm just going to say it shit show. People are not paying their rents. Uh, and eventually this assistance is going to run out, but that's a whole different story. Um, you also got transportation funding and infrastructure, 90 billion. And in that bill you have, where's the number at the BART system in California. The BART system is a rail system, and I think it goes from San Francisco to, I don't know the full extent of this. They've been building this thing for years, and I had the number written down. It was one point, I don't have it written down. Do you have it, V, by chance? No, I don't. It was like I think it was like 140 million. Don't That's the, million. it was it was in the yeah 100 million to to help that system out. Yes, right. So we're you have a, a you have a plan. You have a bill that's proposed to save America. It's to help the people, the people who are hardest hit. But if you really look at this bill, and this is not the only example of this, you have millions here, millions here going to projects that. Like, why are we building a rail system in San Francisco, California, 
why is the federal government funding this? Why, why is that not one? Why is that not California's government's project? We have a, a nationwide pandemic. This is a plan for the American people. And yet we have millions of dollars going to the rail system. And yeah, I've already hit on that. That's one. You have, what was the number for arts and humanities? Got it pulled up right here. A hundred and I think it was 130. Where is it at? I think it was $130 million to go to arts and humanities. Yep. Oh, 135 million. Let me ask you, gentlemen, $135 million to go to arts and humanities. And it doesn't really specify it so much, but you're looking at a, a bill that is supposed to be supporting Americans and helping the American people, people who are hardest hit. And yet we have $140 million going to build a train, $135 million going to arts and humanities, you have, what was it, $3 million going to the Great Lakes infrastructure, something. I didn't really get a whole lot of information on that. But the point is, and there's other examples of this, there's a lot of fluff in this. There's a lot of little hidden millions here, million, millions there, that are going to stuff that have absolutely nothing to do with what this bill's, the narrative of this bill is. $15 an hour minimum wage. Um, yes, that's another one. And I was looking at the plan for that. Apparently, the way they have it, it's a five-year staggered plan. Mm -hmm. So the year one is like 11, year two, 12. It, they have it staggered. Now, whether it, that makes it through or not, we'll see. Um, that's a whole other well, debate right there. But when you when you look at the purpose of any stimulus package i mean you will always find pork tied into it i mean there's always somebody's pet project i mean this is you know we have we and actually we have been talking about this in my us history class we have created the welfare state and then the fact 100% you know and i want to go back to and and this is a point that Sean, i i i totally admired the statement you made last week when you said we we believe in helping people who are sick, poor, needy, orphans, the people who are in need. It's the way about which we deliver that aid that we need to be concerned about. And I I, I know I butchered that quote the way you said it last week, but to me, when you look at this, this is we're we're entering in dangerous waters. My wife and I were talking about this last night. I mean, are we? Are we enabling or is it time for us to put on our big, big boy pants and, and go out there and say, okay, we've got to, you know, we got to face this head on now. It's a time. It's, it, is it time enough for us to say enough with this? I mean, I don't mind getting money from the government, but when it's coming from the American taxpayer, I have a problem with it. hundred percent. And you know, it's like if this money was actually going specifically to the people who were hit okay but why like me personally like yeah i know the money's nice but like i'm not really i'm not struggling like i don't need this check like i'm not rich but i don't need it there's somebody else i'm sure who would gladly have had these three stimulus checks right it would have really could have really helped them out and maybe they got it maybe they didn't um but the way the aid is just being, everybody's getting it. You get it. You get it. Everyone's get it. Now there was, uh, 
income restrictions on this one. So if you made, I think it was like household or over 75,000 or individual mm-hmm. over 75,000, you didn't individual qualify. over 75,000 household, I think was 120. Yeah, that's right. Something along those lines. So that, that I can understand. Um, there's just so much, there's just so much fluff in it. And it's like, we're spending all of this money and like, what's really the, what's really the purpose behind it? Are we really, is the narrative really to help the people who are hard, hardest hit by this thing? Or is it, is this just an excuse to print money and put it towards political agendas? I'll tell you guys this much. I had a, a very left leaning professor, my econ professor in college who said, and this is, this is coming from a guy on the left who said, you cannot spend your way out of a recession. Absolutely. You can't, yeah. you know, that this is a, you know, the, the old, the old saying, you know, it's, it's called, and this is what they call this. There's, there's actually an economic term for this. It's called priming the pump. And we, we talked about this with the, with the depression era, you know, it's like whenever you start a lawnmower, you know, the first thing you do is you push the little red button down there and you prime the gas to get the, the engine running. Okay. Once the engine is running, do you sit there and keep on pumping the, do you keep on sitting there push, pushing the button? No, you, okay. The engine's running. Let's re- let's let it run. Okay. You have to be, I mean, I am all for, if we need to kickstart our economy, which, you know, we're at what, 7%, 6% unemployment right now. Our unemployment numbers are back up. Like small, that, small. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm for money to the small businesses too. But at some point we have to really, like I said last week, we're going to, we're you know, the sign of Joe Biden's pen, we're going to see $2 trillion added right to the debt. Boom, like that. And here's, I got an article for you guys. So, uh, this is the headline. Republican trolls trillion dollar COVID package asked for $10,000 stimulus checks instead. This is a uh, Arizona Republican representative, uh, Paul Gassar. Probably mm-hmm. butchered his last name. No, that's it. Uh, okay. Um, and he says here, he's quoted, I offered an amendment to prioritize $10,000 stimulus checks to Americans most affected by COVID-19 and lockdowns. Instead, Democrats chose foreign aid, big tech transit, and Pelosi's political priorities over direct re- relief to American citizens. Now, you know, you got some Republican Democrat core right there, but he brings a good point. If this, and whether this was his intention or not, I don't know, but if this bill is truly for the hardest hit people, why is it that all this, most of the money in this trillion dollar bill isn't even to the people that are affected, but instead it's all these. It's just all this nonsense. Like if if it's truly, if we're really going to put out $1.9 trillion to help the American people in need, if you're really going to print that much money and put out that much money and that's your agenda, mm-hmm. maybe he makes a good point with that. Now, do I think we need to be given $10,000 checks out? <laughs> um, no. Um, maybe some people would actually need it, but uh, we got a debt to pay off. <laughs> that's not going to happen either. No, it's not. Um, well, and, you know, when you, when you talk about $135 million, I think you said going towards um, arts and humanities, if the yes. art is, you know, a premium hub subscription, then my package will definitely be stimulated. <laughs> but I, I can agree with you when, oh, when my. you talk about, it's crazy to me that when we look at things in California and they're investing money in a rail system, right? What's what's crazy to me is 
they are proving they are single handedly proving that the ability to help or the ability to fund projects right is as easy as the snap of a finger because it's almost made up money right it's it's the idea oh, it that is, is is yes. is it just is made up, made up. Yes. so it is it's crazy to me where if we want to talk about infrastructure right why don't you know if if this money is there this is where that argument where again it's a slippery slope that you know others might not want to go down on but if we're proving that we can like let's say rebuild infrastructure right if we can add a giant rail system in California during this time, then why can't we rebuild communities in downtown St. Louis? Why can't we be using this money to rebuild communities elsewhere? If the government can just create money like this, then there's a fair argument that some people might have when they talk about reparations. The money's there. The money can be given because the money can just clearly be printed as as the American government is showing. So when they do things like this, I understand why other individuals when like I hate the idea of canceling student loan debt. However, the the point to say that it can't be done is proven that anything can be done. Or, they can literally yeah, exactly. do whatever yeah. they want. Exactly. So I, I, for I, them just to not do it just proves it's it's not because they can't do it. It's because they choose not to do it. Right. And the argument that they can use too uh, also is – all of these things, you you go that that I go back to that rail system, Travis. The 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 defense that they'll give for that, and and I can see this too. What are you doing? What are you creating when you're building that line? You're creating jobs. Here, the, and I mean, and in all fairness to the Democrat, I mean, you can say that with every arts and humanities, you're creating jobs. You're promoting you're promoting economic growth. And that's the defense for any government spending is that it's creating jobs. 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 And that in the end is what we want to do. When you look at the, not Sean's term of stimulation, but the term that they're going with is going to be, we're going to, you know, we want to create jobs. Well, yeah. And I totally understand that narrative. I mean, it's, but you're also like, I go back to like, why are we funding, you know, this, this California project and many others through 350 billion in this stimulus package is to cover state and local government's budget shortfalls. At what point though, do we hold the state and local governments accountable? Like at what point do we hold them accountable for not balancing our own budget? And at what point do we hold our federal government accountable for not balancing their budget? I mean, it's, and maybe that's a whole different issue I'm getting into, but the point is like if you're gonna be spending this money in the narratives to help the American people, why is it not going to the people? If that's truly what the narrative is. Nineteen ninety seven was the last time that we had a balanced budget, and that was with Bill Clinton. And Bill Clinton wanted to the one thing that I that I applaud Bill Clinton for, and, and don't go there with that joke, Sean, but one thing that I applaud for Bill Clinton for is that he did balance the budget and we did for the first time and only time in my life, we had a surplus. We had a budget surplus and they, and this, this, there was an argument about what to do with that money. Do we put it towards the debt or do we give it back to the people? Ended up giving it back to people. I got a $300. I got two checks. I got a $300 check and I got a $400 check back on that. I still remember that. I bought tires for my car for that. I still remember 
Well, now people are. Just I'm going to go as back to blame uh, Thomas Jefferson for the Louisiana Purchase because maybe if we just hadn't expanded so far westward, then maybe we wouldn't be running into this nonsense where we have to take care of California <laughs> and we have to take care of Michigan. If anyone should be at fault here, it is Thomas Jefferson, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yes, we're gonna we're gonna blame him and we're gonna hold his feet to the flame. Uh, uh, you know, it wouldn't be the first time. So. Right. Uh, as we kind of move things a little bit forward, I'm going to talk about the last segment, uh, some of the things that I have kind of stumbled upon here on the internet. And today, I want to give a just a queef, queef, a quick run through. <laughs> Let out a couple of those today. A queef. Oh my god. Yep. It just, it just slipped out. So no, I I, I want to take classic. a quick look at how. Um, how Ted Bundy might have actually been the most successful Republican of our oh, time. God. Here we go. Wait a minute. Let me get adjusted in my chair here. Okay, go ahead. I'm good now. I'm good. So uh, many of you guys might know Ted Bundy as the uh, piece of crap serial killer who was responsible for the murder of at least 30 young women, uh, potentially more. Many of you guys might know um, he was a you know one of those uh, handsome devil kind of individuals who had actually swooned women when he was at court. Um, he tried to defend himself in court and was making, you know, jury members laugh. The people in court laugh. This guy had a natural act um, for being a character and a natural act and knew how to carry himself. And unfortunately, um, the way that he carried himself was, you know, led to the death of uh, 30 women. Um, however, what some people might not know about Ted Bundy is he was actually a uh, very talented up and coming Republican before his his murder spree um, and actually a, a pretty successful one. So it's funny that you had mentioned Watergate um, because actually a few years before he embarked on uh, that killing spree, Ted Bundy had hit the headlines for a different reason. He was actually accused of spying against Democratic candidates for the Republican Party amid the Watergate scandal uh, that, like you said, eventually would see President Richard Nixon <laughs> resign from the White House. Oh. Um Yes. Yeah, so this actually happened after he had went through a breakup with his girlfriend, which um, one thing that uh, kind of uh, some podcasts I've heard about Ted Bundy and some you know video things I've watched about Ted Bundy. A lot of his victims actually looked pretty similar. There was kind of a, a specific mold that he kind right. of actually yeah. would go after. And they actually kind of had a similar look to his girlfriend that he had uh, split with at the time. So it's believed that this was actually kind of like the switch. And he threw himself into a variety of activities. And that one of that was being super active in the Republican Party. He actually attended the 1968 Republican National Convention as a delegate for future Vice President Nelson Rockefeller. Um, and he did take a little bit of a break. Uh, he had to throw some murder in there, um, <laughs> God. Uh, like 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 any good Republican might have to. Right. Um, <laughs> but he was actually known, and and like I like I've said, um, many footage, lots of footage that have come up about. Bundy, including like some of the stuff in the tapes, uh, it, when you listen to him speak, he's very articulate. He's very good with words. And there's a reason why he had actually kind of found himself amongst people that were rising to power within the Republican Party. Um, he had actually gotten in trouble. Part of his job was to shadow, um, I believe it was a governor candidate. Yeah. the uh, In Washington, Republican candidate, Daniel J. Evans. So Bundy, you know, uh, would go on to become a professional stalker, um, but was actually stalked former governor uh, Albert. I'm going to butcher the last name Rosalini. Yeah, Albert Rosalini um, and was to record his 
speeches so that they can be analyzed by the Republican team and used against him. Right. So wow. This is this is like big Watergate at, at the small scale, right? And this guy would, like I said, was at the Republican National Convention shaking hands with these individuals. Um, you know, he was he was really a a That's cunning true. individual. And amazing. it's one of those things where they actually look at I couldn't tell you um I, I I've heard a lot like they say that a lot of serial killers, right, could potentially become incredible politicians just because they have a way and there's a certain level um, mm-hmm. to being a psychopath that you might need to actually kind of run for public office at that level. Right. Um, look at John Wayne Gacy was heavily involved in the democratic party right. in uh, Illinois. So I was, I was going to bring that up. I was actually going to bring that up, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's crazy um, how, and it was funny because Bundy, again, being, being the way that he was once this was kind of like, brought up he his exact quote was it's hard for me to believe that what i did is newsworthy he told a reporter my part in the campaign was so insignificant that i'm embarrassed to be getting this publicity from it really embarrassed which is totally not true right especially during the watergate era where spying on your counterpart was like the way to do things that is exactly kind of how these parties tackled it and Again, it comes from such a, a funny time um, in and where just we were in the world. And it, it's it's crazy to me that you 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 take and the reason why I say, you know, was why was Ted Bundy so successful is because really he had one goal in mind, and that was to kill as many people as he possibly could. And, you know, you have other Republicans like Donald Trump who failed to win the second presidential election. So when it comes to levels of success, Bundy actually reached his goals, whereas uh, Donald Trump fell a little bit short. So today, um, Ted Bundy actually gets my nomination for the most successful Republican of all time. Hey, you know what? You can't deny the work ethic and the consistency. Oh, my God. Yeah. It is all about consistency. All good serial killers know that consistency is key. All right? You can't just murder one and move on. You got to just keep going going while the going is hot. That's right. Strike while the metal's hot. That's right. Strike while the metal's hot. I love it. So uh, as we kind of wrap things up here, I kind of want to talk uh, briefly about uh, our topic that we will be discussing next week. I appreciate you guys uh, staying with us for this episode. I I know there was a lot of really good – Andy, you did a great job kind of going over impeachment. I know I definitely learned some things. Uh, Travis, you as well. I I, I remember when the first – uh, stimulus bill had come out like the big thing that kind of shook me was like i think it was the kennedy center was receiving funds of upwards of like 30 mm-hmm. million dollars or something like that yep. um, and it was just like why what, what and now i would understood if some money was put in certain places right to make sure that employees were taken care of but i want to know exactly how many employees need to go a 30 million dollar uh, drop Shop off is, is right. going to, you know, that I just want to right. say, I didn't even cover everything uh, to our listeners. Oh, I'm sure, you yeah. can go to congress.gov and literally look up this bill and every single thing in the bill. And you can see for yourself. I mean, mm. it's not hidden information. Like it's, this is open to the public. You just got to do the research. Yeah. And so our topic next week kind of steers a little bit away about being incredibly involved in the specifics of politics. However, we are going to talk about, um, Basically, celebrities. We're going to talk about should be should they be role models, and we're going to dive into 
uh, different categories of those celebrities. We're going to focus on athletes. We're going to focus on actors. And actually, we're also going to talk about politicians. Should politicians be praised the way that they are? Um, you know, people are literally placing some of these individuals on a pedestal and, and calling them, you know, like the next saving grace, people like AOC. And then even people like Donald Trump that people have literally put on a pedestal acting like this is uh, the divine truth that we need to follow down. We're, so we're just going to dive into uh, what is the line? What is the line for how how much should you listen to these individuals and should these individuals actually have their, their voice of reason out there? And should we even have our voice of reason out there? So um, I also am super excited to announce that we have an incredible guest joining us next week. Yes, His sir. name is uh, Hank Owens. He's a uh, financial advisor for Northwestern Mutual, and he's going to help clarify some of this craziness that you guys have seen in the market. I know Travis has touched on it a little bit, uh, and Hank's going to get uh, elbows deep into the nitty gritty. Yeah, I'm um, excited to talk Hank. about. For those who listened yeah. last week, I did a terrible job explaining it. So he's no, you did. He, you did fine. He's you an did expert. Fine. Uh, he knows all about this. I've already chatted with them about this too. So I'm excited to have, have him on and explain everything to you guys. Yeah, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. And next week we'll announce some more uh, future guests that we're going to be have coming on to the show. We've, we've definitely got a big diverse group lined up for you guys. And again, we're going to, we're going to talk about all kinds of different subjects and not, and not every single week might be uh, necessarily political, um, but we might, you know, be talking about a couple different, uh, you know, Things when it comes to human rights, kind of uh, all different. We, we want to paint a picture that you guys haven't necessarily seen yet. And so we're definitely going to kind of spice things up a little bit. I know Travis and I have a couple friends um, from, you know, our former our former time at, uh, you know, cooking together and working together that we'd love to have on that, oh, you know, yeah, yes. uh, could, could give some of their experiences and traveling the world as a culinary expert. So we're definitely not just going to uh, throw the salt and pepper on it. We are definitely going to be bringing you the garlic, the thyme, all the good stuff for you. So, um, yeah. So again, I wanted to thank you guys so much. V, where can they find uh, the Voice of Reason podcast? Right now, we we are on Podbean. We will be on Spot. We are on Spotify, and of course, Sean will be sending me a direct uh, MP3 of this, and I'm going to work to upload this to YouTube. Voice of Reason Podcast 2021 on YouTube. Do a search for it. Subscribe to us and like uh, the first one. The first podcast will be available. I'm hoping by tomorrow on that YouTube page, and we will get. I will promise some way we will figure this video thing out and we will have it live hopefully soon. Correct. And please make sure you check us out on Voice of Reason Podcast 2021 on Facebook. Um, our page is ever growing slowly but surely each day. If you guys know anyone that you think might be interested in giving us a listen, please send them our way. Um, if you guys have any questions for us or anything that you guys might like for us to discuss, you can email us at voiceofreasonpodcast2021 at gmail, or please send us a message on Facebook. Leave a comment in any post that you guys see from us, and we will be more than happy uh, to reach out to you guys or discuss whatever you guys might have to say. Um, so, from from me here, Sean, I want to say thank you guys for sticking with us. And Travis and Andy, I'll let you guys sign off. And I think this was a pretty pretty kick-ass episode. Yep. Thank you guys so much yeah. for listening awesome. to us. Keep it, keep it up. Yep. All righty. Thank you so much. And we will be seeing you guys next week with the good doctor himself, Hank Owens. We will talk to you guys next time. We'll see you later.